Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. When I was in year five, I played the clarinet. And I know what you're thinking, that guy is pretty cool. All the boys in my year thought I was pretty cool as well, playing the clarinet, so did, did wonders for my social cred. I don't, actually, I, I don't know how I ended up playing the clarinet. I think it was because we already owned one, and I'm like the fourth child, so it's like hand-me-downs are just a way of life. But I didn't really want to play the clarinet, but I had to play the clarinet. And so I didn't really practice, I didn't really care about it. I didn't really put any time in. And so when it came to the concerts that we had to do in the school hall at Narara Public School, um, I would sit in amongst the, you know, the band and I would pretend to play, but I wouldn't actually play. Or I'd just, I'd give off a little like elegant honk every now and again. (laughs) But there there was a disconnect between what I looked like I was doing and what I was actually doing. And I don't know if you've ever felt that being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a disconnect between what you read in the scriptures, what you see Jesus doing, what you see the church doing in the early church, and our experience of the Christian life today, our experience of church. I reckon I see a disconnect in our church. There's incredible stories of what Jesus did, and we think, man, Jesus was God, right? So he just did incredible stuff. But there's stories of Jesus sending out his 72 disciples, and they come back and they're amazed because they're like, the demons obey us. Even that is like an insane kind of concept, that there is demons and that they obey us. We heal the sick, we preach the good news to the poor. The early church in Acts goes out and does these incredible movements of God. There's a story of Peter, and he's walking into the temple, and there's a, a beggar, and he's asking for money, and the story goes that Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he gets up and walks. And I don't know about you, but I feel a disconnect between what I read in Scripture and what I experience. And I so deeply want our church, Greenhouse Church, to be a Jesus church, to do the Jesusy stuff. He did incredible stuff, like teaching the scriptures and telling stories and building community and, and prayer and rhythms of life. And we kind of have a handle over that stuff, but I also want the other Jesusy stuff. The casting out of demons, the demonic evil in the world, bringing healing, restoration, forgiveness of sins, people coming to know Jesus. I want us to be a Jesus-y church and do the Jesus-y stuff, not just talk about it, not just sing about it, actually live it out. But that Jesus stuff doesn't just happen by us trying harder or having better strategies as much as I wish it did. We need help. We can't do it on our own. It happens by the presence and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit. And so we're, we're kicking off this new series called Ghost. And it's a series of leaning into and exploring as a church, a modern church 
in 2022, in Longevity, in a Western society, what does it look like to see the things of the Spirit at work in our lives and our world? We call it ghost. Holy Ghost is like an old school term for the Holy Spirit. It comes from the King James Version. And um, no one really uses it anymore. But I kind of like it because it's like kind of like mystical. And, and, and part of my heart for this series is to demystify the Spirit. How do we be naturally supernatural? How do we understand who the person of the Spirit is? But the other part of me kind of wants to remystify the Spirit. Actually bring about a, a, a new sight of the world. There's a guy called James K.A. Smith. He is a, an author. He wrote an incredible book called You Are What You Love. Highly recommend. And he talks about the West has been disenchanted. And what he means by that is that almost every society through history in every continent has some sort of awareness of the spiritual. And yet we are kind of rational, scientific, modern people, and so we have disenchanted the world. And, you know, when people talk about spiritual, sometimes they mean immaterial, like there's like the the material part of it, the stuff we can see and feel, and the spiritual part of it, like the other aspect of it. And, and there's truth to that. But Tim Mackey says this. He says, when you hear the word spiritual, it's less about the immaterial things, the things that we can't see, but it's more about the ultimate things, the things behind the things. And so James K.A. Smith talks about the role of the church in the West is to re-enchant culture to help people see the thing behind the thing, that there is more going on than we can see, feel, measure, test. You know, I think in some ways we've sanitized the spirit. I know I have done that sometimes. We've tried to make the spiritual things kind of palatable or understandable because we're rational, right? We're scientific beings, we're modern people, Absolutely, but we are also spiritual beings. So, I, I, know, I know that, um, you know, in our church, there are a bunch of different people who have come from different backgrounds and different experiences of the Holy Spirit. For some of us, this is our first experience of church. You're a, you're a new Christian. You haven't been to church before. And so, you might have some sort of preconception around spiritual things, the Holy Spirit, but maybe you don't have much at all as well. For some of us, We've come from a, a conservative background, a traditional church, where, you know, talk about the Holy Bible more than the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Bible, rather than Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, for some of us, you know, we've come from charismatic or Pentecostal backgrounds, and so you've had some sort of experience with the spiritual, with the Holy Spirit, with prophecy and praying in tongues, and maybe some of that's been good, maybe some of that's been hurtful or harmful or manipulative. And so we all come from different spaces, and, and some people, you know, you're hesitant about talking about stuff like this. Some people, you're up for it, and you're, you're into it. But I just want to recognize that we all come from different places and spaces. But I just want to go through and start, as we start kind of this series, um, I want to go through the, the scriptural basis of the Spirit. I want to go through the Spirit at work through the Bible. And so we're going to smash a whole bunch of scriptures, but I want you to to stick with me. I, do you think you can do it? We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to go all the way to the writings of Paul. I'm not going to go through every verse. 
The first instance where we see the Spirit is in Genesis 1, chapter 2, second verse of the Bible. It says this, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So right in the beginning of creation, as God is creating things, we see the Spirit of God hovering above the waters. The Hebrew word for spirit there is ruach, which means the breath, the wind. Carmen's got it tattooed on, on her arm if you want to um, see it later. You can line up and have a look at ruach. Genesis 2, God makes people... Verse 7 says, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, so he picked up mud, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That word breath, ruach, same word, spirit of life. And he became a living soul. This beautiful picture of humans being made of the dust and being made of the breath of God. Dust and spirit, dust and divine. We were always meant to be spirit people. And then through scriptures, we see the Spirit come upon certain people, certain leaders, certain prophets that God is using. Genesis 41, Joseph, who became the second in charge of Egypt, he said, it says um, in Genesis 41, Joseph was a man filled with the Spirit like none other. Exodus 31, I love this story. There's a guy called Bezalel, which is a great name. And the Spirit came upon him not to like prophesy or lead, but to make beautiful things. And he made the tabernacle. He was a tradie. I love that. The Spirit came on a man to become a tradie and make incredible things. Numbers 11, God takes the Spirit that's on Moses, who was this great leader in the story of Egypt. And he takes the same Spirit that's on Moses. He puts it on the 70 elders. It's like this leadership Spirit. Judges 14, there's a guy called Gideon. He leads an army of like that whittles down to 300 people. It's like the, the first, like, you know, the movie 300. It's kind of based off that. And... Um, uh, and the Spirit is upon Gideon to lead an army into battle. Two kings. Um, Elisha was the apprentice of a guy called Elijah. Very confusing. I don't know who named them or how that worked, but Elijah is hanging out with Elisha. Elijah's about to die, and Elisha asks Elijah to put a double spirit, a double anointing on him. 2 Chronicles 24, the Spirit comes upon a man called Zechariah to speak out the Word of God. There's all these instances through the Bible where the Spirit comes upon people. And we see that people were meant to be dust and divine. We're all meant to be spirit people. And yet Isaiah 61, Isaiah 63, sorry, says, they rebelled against him and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he became their enemy. We saw that we turned on our kind of divine nature and we played in the mud. We became more dust than divine. We were always meant to be spirit people. And there was these incredible moments where the Spirit of God comes upon certain people. Ezekiel 36 is a prophecy, and it talks about, uh, it says, I will put a new heart and a new spirit in you. I'll, like, recapture the ruach, the divine part of you. I will take away the stony heart. I will give you a heart of flesh. We were always meant to be spirit people. There's this other prophecy in Joel 2, verse 28. It says, it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. We were always meant to be spirit people. And so what we have is in creation, the spirit is there. 
He creates humans, dust and divine. We're meant to be spirit people. We sort of grieve the Holy Spirit. We went and played in the mud. There's these particular people that God comes upon. And then there's these prophecies, these, these whispers of God coming and putting a new spirit in people, recapturing the divine part of who we are, recapturing the spirit people. And then we get to the New Testament. And Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus was the epitome of what was hap- meant to happen in Genesis. Dust and divine, fully human, fully God. And Jesus gets up to preach his first sermon, and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and reads out this prophecy. It says, It's the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the captives, sight to the blind, and the year of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus becomes this prototype of what it means to be dust and divine, to be a spirit person. And we often think of Jesus doing these incredible things and healing the sick and casting out demons because he's God. But Philippians tells us that Jesus gave up his divine nature. So my question for you was, was Jesus omnipotent? That's a word that means all-powerful. Was Jesus omnipresent? That's a word for God, meaning all-present. Was Jesus omniscient? theological nerdy word for all-knowing? It's a really interesting question. Was Jesus omnipresent? Was Jesus everywhere at once? Well, no. He was in a human body, and he had to walk places. Was Jesus all-powerful? That's an interesting question. Almost seems like heretical to ask, right? But we know that Jesus got tired. We know that he got emotionally depleted. He wasn't all-powerful. We know that he is now in his risen state, but he was a human. Was Jesus all-knowing? That's an interesting question. Scholars have debated about this one, like, did Jesus know everything? And there's certainly instances where Jesus feels like he knows and he can give words of knowledge to people. But Luke also tells us that he grew in wisdom. He grew in favor. Matthew 24, Jesus talks about Um, I don't know the hour or the day, only the Father knows. And so there's things that Jesus didn't know, so he's not all-knowing. Because Jesus isn't like just meant to be like, show us just what God does. He was meant to show us what men were meant to be, what people were meant to be. We were always meant to be spirit people. And so Jesus comes and shows us what it's like to be a human, fully human, full of the Spirit of God. John 14, Jesus says, are are you following? Are you okay? You good? There's a lot of Bible verses, I know. John 14 says, Very truly I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, casting out demons, healing sick, multiplying bread. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than me. That's a pretty wild statement, that you as a follower of Jesus will do greater things than Jesus did. Get your head around that one. John 16, a few chapters later, Jesus says, it's better for you that I leave. He's talking about his death and and his ascension into heaven. 
It's better that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. The spirit won't come. So there's something about Jesus leaving and sending back the spirit. We were always meant to be spirit people. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is speaking to his disciples just before he ascends to heaven. He says, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father has sent the gift he promised. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you will receive power. And then the next chapter, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, and the believers are praying in the upper room, and they pray, and those prophecies from Ezekiel about a new heart and a new spirit, from Joel about the um, spirit coming upon all people came true, Acts chapter 2. And the spirit came upon people, they spoke in tongues, and many people came and followed Jesus. We were always meant to be spirit people. Romans chapter 8, Paul says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. He goes on, 1 Corinthians 13, Romans 12, he talks about the gifts of the spirit. Galatians 5, he talks about the fruit of the spirit. We were always meant to be spirit people, right from the beginning of the Bible. And the things we read in Scripture are not just nice stories that we should look back on. They should become our reality. Because just as Jesus was a human full of the Spirit, that is actually what we are called to be if you're a follower of Jesus. We're called to be Spirit people. And I am convinced that God is calling our church to recapture what it means to be spirit people. We can't do this under our own steam. We can have a nice social club, come on Sundays, every second Sunday, every third Sunday, whatever it is. We can be nice people with plans on Sunday but I don't think it's enough. Our Christianity has to have power. Otherwise, what does it have? We were always meant to be spirit people. So then the question becomes, and I'm landing here, how do we become spirit people? How do we recapture what it is that was started in Genesis and was prototyped by Jesus, lived out by the early church, and seen in generation after generation, in traditions, in movements, in revivals that we've seen in history? How do we recapture what it is to be a spirit person? The truth is, I have no idea. (laughs) Because the spirit is not a formula. Any Star Wars fans? Yes, Bianca. I love Star Wars, and a lot of people have drawn the conclusion that the force in the Star Wars is like the Holy Spirit. It's like this, if you haven't seen it, there's like this force that's like in and through everything, and there's certain people, certain like spiritual people that are like force sensitive, and they can like sense the force. And then there's like people who are Jedi apprentices, and they're learning how to like work with the force, like I'm one with the force, the force is with me, and then there's like Jedi masters, and they can like manipulate the force in this incredible way, they use like 
powers and they can make stuff go different places and use lightsabers really cool. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He is a person. He is not a power to yield or manipulate. He's a person that's powerful, but he's not a power to yield. He's a person to know. And I think where we get in trouble sometimes is we think about the, the Holy Spirit as a force to wield. Something, you know, there's, there's certain people among us who are spirit sensitive. And there's certain people who are like Jedi masters of the spirit. And they know how to do stuff and make people fall over. It's slain in the spirit. And they know how to make dead people rise from the dead. But the Holy Spirit is not a power. He is a person to know, and there is no formula to people. (laughs) There's no formula to a relationship. And so it's hard to say this is exactly how we become a spirit people. I do have some hunches. And I think some of it will take some teaching, some exploring, some practicing. And we're going to, through this series, I've got a friend coming um, next week. His name's Charlie Burke. He's planted a church the same time as us in Blacktown. And he's going to speak about the devil and the demonic. It'll be very interesting. Um, so make sure you're here next week. And then I've got another friend. His name's Jono Ives. He's a church planter from the Northern Beaches and um, part of the Vineyard Movement with kind of John Wimber, if anyone know that. He's going to talk about what it means to be naturally supernatural. He's going to talk about healing and praying for people. It's going to be pretty incredible. We're going to talk about tongues and prophecy and baptism of the Spirit and things like that. I'm really looking forward to exploring these things together. But this is my hunch in what it takes to become spirit people. The band can probably come up, I suppose. Pray, play spiritual music. <laughs> three things, three quick things that I think my hunches of next steps. There's no formula to relationship, but there are some best practices in relationships, right? The first thing it's going to take for us is to return. Nathan Finocchio is a, um, he's a theologian, interesting guy, but he, he said this thing, which I really love. He said, Reformation, which is like what happened in the 1500s, Martin Luther, um, where the Protestant church comes from. Reformation is a return to Scripture. He says, Revival is a return to the Spirit. And I love that, that, you know, we should always be reforming as a church. We should always be returning to Scripture and saying, what is God saying for now? Reclaiming being people of the book, living under the authority of the Bible and the scriptural story. We should always be returning again to the Spirit because we can't do this on our own. And so we return that that word return is, you know, you read it in the Bible as repent, which literally means to turn, to turn back to Jesus, to reorient our lives around Jesus. Dale Bruner, he says that the Spirit is most present when Jesus is most central. And so the first thing that we always have to do is return again to Jesus, return to the Scriptures, return to the Spirit. And the second thing we see all through Scripture, all through history, 
is we wait. We wait in prayer. The Spirit fell in Acts. All those prophecies were fulfilled when the disciples were up and they were waiting. They were praying in the upper room. Jesus told them, don't go anywhere until you receive the Spirit. Through Acts, we see that the followers of Jesus are filled when others lay hands on them and pray for them. We wait in prayer. And we know that every great revival in history, you can always point it back to people, usually a small group of people, praying and waiting. So we return, we wait, and then we are filled. N.T. Wright was asked a question once. It said, someone asked him, are you filled with the Spirit? He's an Anglican guy. Are you filled with the Spirit? And he says, yes, but I leak. (laughs) Yes, but I leak. I'm filled with the Spirit, but I leak. The Spirit isn't something to own or possess. People want to like make it down to that something. Are you filled with the Spirit or not? Yes, we're filled with the Spirit, but we leak. We always need to be filled with the Spirit. Some of you have never been filled with the Spirit. You need to ask. You need someone to pray for you. But others of us have experienced that before. But it's a daily thing. Because it's not something to own. He's not something to possess. He's a person to know. We consistently need the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit to live within us so that we can walk out and do the Jesus-y stuff, to have the character of Jesus formed in us, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, to be filled with spiritual gifts and insight and wisdom and the prophetic. We need the Spirit of God. We were always meant to be spirit people. May we continue to be spirit people. So, um, you know, there's an old prayer that people have been praying for, for generations. Different cultures, different backgrounds, Some people trace the prayer back to a monk in the 800s. That's a prayer that the church has prayed for a long time. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. And so I don't know where you're at. I know where some of you are at. I'm going to pray that prayer. And I wonder if you want to join me. We're just going to let the music go for a little bit. And if you want, if you're ready, you might want to stand up. You might want to lift your hands out in front of you as a sign of receiving. There's nothing special or magical about that. You might want to pray that ancient prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. And maybe if you want, I'm going to be down the front. Maybe some of our other prayer team can be down the front. If you want to be prayed for to receive this Holy Spirit, maybe I can pray for you. Maybe you can pray for me. 
Come on, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you were there in creation. You were there hovering over as you began to form this world, the heavens and the earth. Thank you that you were there as you formed people. Thank you that we've always meant to be spirit people. Jesus, thank you that you have moved generation after generation. And we just ask, would you do it again? Would you do it fresh in us? We return. We repent. We reorient our lives back to you, King Jesus. We want to be a Jesus church. We don't just want to play church. We want, we want the Jesus-y stuff. And we wait. This morning, we spend some time waiting. We ask you, come, Holy Spirit. And we trust that you would fill us. And do whatever you want to do. It doesn't have to be dramatic. It can be. We pray that ancient prayer. Come, Holy Spirit.